Welcome to the podcast that's all about solutions. If you get that the coercive state is the problem, but you're tired of complaining about it, this is the place for you. Join us as we ask, what then must we do? I am excited today to have with me um, Larkin and Amanda Rose. Some of you are very familiar with these two. Um, They are well-known anarchist activists, um, authors, and now filmmakers. And um, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us on. Hello. So I recently viewed your film, um, Jones Plantation, and... I'm really excited about it. Um, I have a special interest because I I write fiction, and so I'm I'm interested in anything happening in this world. Um, I was ex- especially excited by the fact that you know, for for libertarians, for people in the liberty world, we tend to want to explain everything. We tend to want to like, you know, make it into a John Galt speech and just go down every into every little weed and explain everything that could be wrong about your theory and just, no, 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 but I've got that over here. It's like, no, 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 you can't criticize me there. And you didn't do that. You told a story um, and it's an engaging story. You pull the the viewer in right away. um, You get into the story and the story tells itself. There are a few moments where there's a little sort of speech giving thing, but you you really did, I think, a brilliant job of avoiding that temptation to answer every question. And I think that's what makes it work so well. So congratulations. Um, this is a fantastic film. How did it come about? How did you how did you get the inspiration? How did this happen? Well, I made a, an animated version of it. I think it's 12 years ago or something. A little simple animated version that's like 10 or 12 minutes long. Um, that's sort of just a slideshow. And I, I actually wrote it and somebody else did the illustrations and somebody else did the narration. So I did almost nothing except writing it. Um, that came about by just realizing that if you can set an allegory in some supposedly fictional setting, often that's a way to have people be able to question things and think about things more comfortably when if you tell than if you tell them like the situation you're in right now is horrible and oppressive and bad things are happening. Like the, there's a lot of ways to to sneak ideas and thought-provoking stuff into fiction where people don't have to feel attacked or defensive. So I made that little animated thing. And then many years later, the director of the movie, Andrew Treglia, um, was interviewing me down in Mexico for something completely unrelated. And I happened to mention that little animated thing. And he, I think a day or two afterwards, watched it. And it was his idea to make it into a movie. And as soon as he said that, I was like, why didn't I think? (laughs) Yeah, because there's so that setting gives so much room to cover so many different things in a fictional setting inside an interesting story. So we, we packed in a whole, the challenge was basically keeping it like not seven hours long. Uh, right. Yeah, right. And, and Andrew, Andrew had found you at uh, Anarchapulco before we knew, uh, you know, who Andrew was at all, or that we both lived in Phoenix, Arizona. Cause Andrew said, 
where are you guys at? Because we're we're down in Acapulco, Mexico, so we're quite a ways from the border. Um, and Andrew's like, where are you guys from? And we said, we're in Phoenix. And he's like, well, I'm in Phoenix. I <laughs> Why are we need to like meet up and get going on this then like immediately? And so we started meeting in this little like Tempe little room down in Tempe, Arizona, like literally just an office room with nothing going on in it and doing like the initial like basically drawing out the ideas and talking about them and discussing how it would go. And then you started writing the script. I'll never forget that. And the script was really long. And then shooting butchered the script, of course. And now there's a novel <laughs> as well. So Oh, I didn't realize <laughs> that. That's that's kind of awesome. Is is the novel completed or is that to come? Yeah, they're yes. they're about to do the first printing. That was sort of a weird story in and of itself. <laughs> um because when you make a movie, the the script is first of all you can only fit so much in a movie. Like the average yeah. novel is, you know, 15 hours or so. Yeah. Yeah. You can't put that much in a movie. So I jam-packed pretty much into the original script. And then we were chopping that back. And I was like, oh, well, but I like that. And I like that. And then when we're shooting, yeah. more gets chopped out and abbreviated and whole subplots get thrown out the window. And it's not a complaint. It's just, it's how it had to happen. And yeah. Andrew did what he had to do to make the movie what it had to be. But along the way, being an author, I was like getting all annoyed that like, but I like that and that subplot and that character. And and, uh. and so in the middle of shooting, when we're already sleep deprived, I decided <laughs> I'm going to write the novel and put all that stuff back in so that the novel can do what a novel should do and the movie can do what a movie should do. Um, so I was <laughs> more sleep deprived by the end of our 17 day shoot. That entire movie was shot. in 17 Wow. Days. That's the rough. The rough draft of the novel was finished. Oh my god, that's <laughs> both of those things are insane. Yeah, <laughs> so it was there wasn't a whole lot of sleep, but Andrew and I were both like on the brink of death. Our uh, immune systems completely collapsed from collapsed from lack of sleep. Well, and the actors and Andrew and and Larkin and everyone on set um, before I even got there had to be like. Because my little scene in the carriage is, is two seconds long and I didn't get there to shoot my scene till the end of shooting. But they were there and they had to be completely superhuman because Natchez, Mississippi had this cold snap right before they started shooting, I guess, or in the middle of shooting. So it was supposed to be like 60 degrees because it's Natchez, Mississippi. Right. Instead, it's 20 and they're on an 1820s, 1860s or whatever it was, plantation, and they have no heat so everyone is dying and they have like some people didn't even like they came from like la and were expecting like nice weather and didn't even bring proper coats like one person had like i think a proper coat so people were like doing their scene and then like rushing off um off the you know out of view of the camera to hurry up and cut bundle up together and huddle up and then like try to get warm and they'd be like okay scene and they run out and they're supposed to look like it's summer so they also can't like they're like shivering um and i think andrew said there's like a couple scenes where you can almost see the breath and that's the yeah. one tell that it was, <laughs> it was actually not summer <laughs> but it's okay because in the movie that those scenes can be in winter but yeah winter. <laughs> and i was the only one without a coat so i was in costume too because i'm in the irish indentured servant in the background doing yeah. almost nothing i have no lines but i'm in this thin shirt and thin pants and freezing to death out there and in this <laughs> and then go back from that do the rewrites for a few hours for the next day's shoots and then work on the novel so wow that sounds like the kind of thing 
you can kind of do when you're 20, but um, and get away with. Wow, that's intense. And Amanda, were you involved in production as well? Um, yeah, I mean, I like I'm w- not like in production itself, but I mean, I was in the movie for a second, and yeah. I was with Andrew and Larkin and all the beginning discussions and talking about basically the, the story and how we think it should play out and what scenes we shouldn't shouldn't do and stuff like that like I still was involved in a lot of that um but Andrew is the director and like Larkin said he's the one that you know we knew he this is his arena Larkin's like I'm not a filmmaker you yeah. know what you're doing so it really was one of those things where um there were creative differences at times and it still had to be like you know Larkin had to you know give up some of that control freakism a little bit and let Andrew kind of <laughs> take the reins on, on certain things and go, okay, well, you know, better you're the, you're the director. So, um, whether so, yeah, you know better or not, <laughs> like even yeah. if I don't think I may not think, you know, better right now. And I'm totally unhappy, but you're the director. So I'm just going to uh, let this go the way it's supposed. And the thing is, is it, it happened the way it should have, like, we are really happy with what yeah. Andrew did and the whole result yeah. of it. Like, you know, there were, there were definitely moments along the way, even Andrew would, will tell you, you know, when the chaos of shooting was happening, he, him and everyone were wondering, like, did we get all the shots that we did? We have a film here. Did we like, have a movie. Is and, this yeah. going to be what we need? Because like that was seventeen days, and it was a that's fast, you know, scary, that's chaotic insane. blur. And <laughs> so you know, and then he wow. edited what he did together, and I was like, dude, you are just a pro. You're a pro already. <laughs> like I know you're not necessarily big Hollywood, but this is an editing masterpiece. So yeah, yeah. So you didn't have to go back and reshoot anything after after those 17 days. There were a couple little things. Uh the the flashback scene was actually shot in Phoenix. Um we weren't there ah. for that. And oh, well, the, to the young Mr. Smith's Mr. flashback. His yeah, flashback to his yeah. young self. And mm-hmm. there were a couple little tiny things that oh they they oh yeah the 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 scene of I don't want to do any spoilers. The one scene of of temporary gruesomeness was actually shot like in the backyard at, at Andrew's apartment in Phoenix because the scene they got on on scene down there he's like ah eh, that's not good enough so there's like little tiny things that had to be fixed but almost all of it was in that that 17 day shoot that's intense that's <laughs> just that's hard to imagine <laughs> what kind of response have you all gotten from from like people in our tribe and also like people out people who are not anarchists or even close to that what what a response have you gotten that's like lots of pro-freedom people are are loving it and sharing it all over the place and like changing their icons on social media to the jones plantation and things like that which is awesome to me like i i sort of expected pro-freedom people to go this is really cool which is awesome but to me the thing that matters is how does the rest of the world register it how do they respond to it yes and we've only you know we've gotten bits and pieces like pretty many bits and pieces by now but responses from normal people and i i love what that's been so far different people will notice different things and focus in on hey that was sort of that was about this wasn't it and it seems like almost everybody finds it like thought provoking in there and nobody that i've heard of yet has been like offended because what's there to be offended about and and that was that right that was very like 
one of the reasons I was excited when Andrew said, let's make a movie of it is because I realized of all the videos I made, a bunch of them like explain libertarianism and non-aggression and people can get defensive and argue about it. This just this doesn't say what should be. It just shows what is and everybody can recognize that's not what should be. Whatever should be. It isn't this. Yeah. And so, you know, Democrats, Republicans, what are people that don't pay any attention to politics? All of them can recognize a whole bunch of truths expressed in it. And nobody, unless they're literally a plantation owner, in which case I hope I have offended <laughs> them. I mean, a slave plantation owner. What, why would anybody need to be offended? And they can, they can take what they want from it. And different people watching it will notice. In fact, they'll notice different things the first time through, and then they'll notice other things the second time through. And I know people have watched it a bunch of times and then, and like on the fourth or fifth time, they're like, Hey, I finally noticed that when this happens, he's mm-hmm. like, yeah, that was intentional too. Mm-hmm. And so there's so much to get out of it. I think most normal people, like it's going to be thought provoking while they're watching it, but I think it's going to be rattling around inside their head for days and weeks and months after they see it as they go out into the real world and start to recognize, wow, the real world is just the Jones plantation, <laughs> which is why the, the tagline is we all live on Jones plantation. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think the political campaign ads too are great because, Oh my God. Yes. Like you can't unsee, like you can't unsee and unhear that sort of mockery of that and then return to you know, any like overhearing the radio or overhearing some cable network commercial, you know, campaign ad or something and not flashback to the movie and be like, right. It's going to be hard to take those seriously. Yeah. And everybody laughs at them left, right. I don't care. Everybody, because everybody recognizes the, the whole putting on a show and the fraudulent, you know, trying to pretend you're the savior of the world. Like, even among people who still play the game of politics and still believe in their party and their candidate, they kind of know the game is a joke. They kind of know that politicians are all corrupt liars. They're just basically saying, well, your liar is even worse than my liar. So putting that in front of them in a way that they can actually laugh at the system, I think is really powerful because when you can recognize the insanity of it and laugh at it, and then go out into the real world and go, ah, it's the same thing. <laughs> like, especially coming up on, you know, another political campaign. And and I want to be sticking like hashtag Jones Plantation and hashtag vote for, vote Jones. Vote, and yeah. Stuff. So people, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those were brilliant. Um, one thing I really liked about it is that, and this is this kind of a scary thing to do for people who, for anyone who has a viewpoint or an ideology and you want want to get that across you left it open enough that there are there are scenes where i would think someone coming from like a progressive left wing person could say oh this is an attack on capitalism and you left that open you left it open enough that and and i think i think you know to your credit and to the to the film's credit it's not heavy-handed. I think if it had been more heavy-handed, it would not have been as thought-provoking. I think what's thought-provoking about it is that it is it is it is open-ended in many ways. And so it, you know, even even for myself when I was watching it, 
you know, I, I know your point of view. Um, and I was still, it was thought provoking for me. I was still at times going, well, what's he saying exactly? How does this, how does this really apply to the real world? And wait a second, is he saying something bad about bosses? You know, it's, and that's, that's fantastic. That's, that's wonderful that it's, it's like, it's open-ended enough that it kind of, it gets the the viewer to ask their own questions and to start engaging in it. Whereas had it had just been this heavy handed thing where you're telling us what to think, you don't engage the brain that way. You don't, the viewers are, are, aren't going to go through the same process. So I just, I love that. I love that about it. Yeah. And the, the thing is, you know, most voters left, right, whatever they mean well. And so the thing that wins them over is politicians trying to spin something positive. And so in the movie, we have like when we get around to the election stuff, yeah. we have Jones being about like working hard and, you know, you you benefit from your efforts. And I'm all in favor of that. And then you have Johnson is like, we need to, like, care for people and blah, 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 blah. And so I want people to notice, hey, I sort of agree with some of what they're saying, but I also recognize that they're power happy slime bags. Like, how do I sort this out? Because that is the thing that most of humanity has to sort out is when you hear these good sounding things from psychos, what's the actual problem? Because the 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 actual problem, the violence of the state is something none of them will ever mention. One is about like fairness and taking care of everybody. And one's about, you know, hard work and you can get ahead and prosperity. And both of them are about robbing us blind as much as they possibly can, but they don't put that in campaign speeches. And beating people and having guns and they don't get them and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to give spoilers either, but um, yeah, it's, I feel like that's, that's made clear, but without, without without hitting the, the viewer over the head and again engaging and i think that's what's so that's what's so important about it is that it's it's kind of a a way of engaging people or getting people to engage their own thought process in wait a second what's actually going on here because that's what's been missing really is that it's yeah. it's not it's, the problem in the world i don't think is that people don't agree with me it's that they're not even thinking about it you know yeah. they're just going along and and acting like this is all fine and normal yeah and that's the trick is getting people to where they can feel like they're figuring stuff out themselves and it's been fun to watch how many people watch the movie and go hey that's like this and, and a lot of pro-freedom people are like well it's pretty obvious slap in the face and yeah but most people need a pretty obvious slap in the face because they don't usually think about these things and Contrary to what some people assume, it's not because people are too stupid to understand it. It's because they have lives and they don't want to focus on this garbage. And right. my dream is to to see the day when none of them have to focus on this garbage because yeah. it's not there anymore. Right. Like, Who wants to so, be spending all their time looking at Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm thrilled of the idea of rendering myself and everything I've done so far completely obsolete because nobody needs to, there is no state to bicker about and fight over. But to, to set it up so people can sort of put two and two together and figure things out. And, you know, we, we figured out early on um, that we're not going to, we can't draw out very long 
sort of the punchline of what's going on behind the scenes. So you find that mm-hmm. very soon that the consultant is not there to be a good guy and save the day. I think there's like five whole seconds where the audience can sort of think, yeah, he's he's going to tell him <laughs> he's going to straighten it out. And then you figure out, no, he's just <laughs> better at enslaving people. And he Jones was is. brilliant, by the way. He was that. Yeah. Yeah. He was. He was amazing. Yeah. That's Maurice Johnson playing Mr. Smith. And the, the, the way he comes across is just awesome. Yeah. And yeah. and he's the main character. It's a little weird to have the villain being the main character, but it's like it just is. And it and it works that way. But for people to to watch that and see the games going on and then see what the 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 workers are shown. And to to after watching it, have normal people starting to figure out, hey, like they must they might really do this behind the scenes, like rather than just sit down and say, here's what they're doing behind the scenes. You tell a story and let them notice all the parallels. And again, they won't even notice them all the first time through. They might notice a couple. And then the second time through or a week later when they're thinking about it, they're like, wait a minute. There was also this thing. Yeah. Um, So we've done Q&A with uh, audiences that we've done screenings in front of. And um, it's really fun to see the in-person reactions and how many people, at least in the freedom community, um, had fun with the movie and caught a lot of things like they had questions about specific details in the movie like is this this or is this a reference to this is this a reference to this um so that's why it's sort of fun for you know our own community as in it's like a piece of art or a piece of media that you know all of us can appreciate because it it uh speaks to stuff that we know and all of that um but i also have had reactions from a few people that are kind of up against our community but they're like the friends of friends sort of a thing and they're not really they don't really think like we do and talk about this stuff and they're not like philosophically minded in the sense that they don't talk about anarchist philosophy or anything um and they reacted to it wonderfully and said it was absolutely awesome and interesting and fun and they enjoyed it in different ways and it wasn't what they expected um and it was thought provoking so uh, i had i had a few people give me feedback um on that so that was cool too so it's it's been fun to watch people react but i'm really hoping that the excitement about it and people enjoying it is just what gets people like larkin said spreading it so that um everyone else gets to see this and react to it yeah and it's weird that the goal in this case is like so many movies are just sort of feel good movies. Like you go in and you go rah, rah, rah for the underdog and he wins and you go home and you forget all about it. And I want this movie to bother people. Like I wanted to entertain them. I want them to like it, but I want it to be rattling around inside their head afterwards while they're still trying to sort out like, what did that mean? And what was that? And how much of this is really happening? Um, Including people in the freedom movement. <laughs> Because there's a, a yeah. particular thing in there that some of them will notice and yes. some of them won't. I, I might know what you're referring to. You I'm probably gonna... know what I mean. <laughs> and I want people to be sort of uncomfortable trying to 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 sort it out and trying to figure out what would I have done if I was there. Because the truth of the matter is, sadly enough, most of the people would have done what most of the people in the movie did, which is cheer for the bad guy as the one good guy is getting punished. Yeah. And because that's most of human history. And it's not because they're evil. It's because the psychos are evil and know how to manipulate and, and, you know, indoctrinate and and trickle the people into hating the people who want them to be free and adoring the people who want want to enslave them. 
And I want people made uncomfortable by that. I want them to recognize that this isn't just there's the bad guy, but the good guys defeated him. It's there's the bad guy and the good guys did his bidding. Yeah. Because they didn't understand what was going on. Because that's how the real world works. That's history. That's all of our history. Yeah. And and present day. People people go to like the Hunger Games movies and they go watch the Hunger Games movies and they're like, yeah, Katniss. And then they like go outside and leave the thing and they're like, I'm going to vote for Donald J. Trump. (laughs) And I'm like, (laughs) okay. And then when you do that, like you supporting this machine actually steps on the throats of all of the Katnesses out there (laughs) that you were just rooting for. So like, yeah. So it's one of those things where I, I feel like that's, that's where as much as I love Hunger Games, I don't even really want to make fun of it in the sense that I love the message it's it's like there's a time and place for certain things and given the mindset of most people the hunger games isn't something that's gonna jar them loose it's gonna make them feel validated where they are and then they can walk out and be like yeah okay cool and in this case this is gonna make people kind of disturbed i think and then at least think and that's that's the upside i think to the to the villain being the main um, character instead of the the good guy everyone's easily obviously going to root for. Yeah. Um, because you're watching how the villain thinks. And I told Larkin, so often villains are cartoonized and um, exaggerated and made elegant and embellished, but they're not explained. Like not not from yeah. their own mouth, not properly. It's like ha when they're explaining it in Disney movies, yeah. but it's like it's <laughs> yeah. not. You know what I mean? It's not. Yeah. Well, I mean, out. and that I think that's part of what's so brilliant about Game of Thrones is that you get inside the psyches of the villains. And I think what you said about about like Hunger Games is actually really important because I feel like we go to these movies and we watch the good guys defeat the tyrants and defeat all the, all the people that we would be against. And there's like a catharsis. I think people come away from that feeling like they've accomplished something. You know, you get the emotional rush of the bad guys have been beaten and then you go out into the world and it's like, well, I don't need to worry about that because the bad guys are just, didn't you see the movie? You know, they're, they're, they've been beaten. We're okay now. And I do feel like psychologically there's a problem with that. It's, it's, um, you know, again, and I love hunger games, but I do think there's there's a problem when we're all kind of plugged into that narrative of the good guys are winning, the good guys are winning. I feel like at at, a, at some level we assimilate that and start to believe that the good guys are in fact winning when you look around at the world around you and it's like that's not really what's happening. Yeah, and without without getting too specific <laughs> counting as spoilers like very early on, I mean, back at the, the animated version too, part of the point was we're we're not just going to give them the comfortable, happy ending that like, don't worry, the good guys win. You don't have to think about it. It's not only do bad things keep happening, but I want the viewer to figure out that they are helping them to happen and that they weren't cheering for it. So it wasn't yeah. a matter of, we all know who the good guy is and we cheered for it. It's like, no, you cheered for the wrong guy. You were cheering for the bad guy. And that that realization is the thing that has to happen. I mean, I constantly talk about how you can watch the big, the excited, happy, well-intentioned cheering throngs 
cheering Stalin into power and Mao and Hitler and, you know, the rest of them. Yeah. Those were good people. And that that's something that makes people uncomfortable is yeah. to think those people who cheered for those tyrants, they weren't doing it because they wanted tyranny. They were doing it because they didn't understand the tricks and got tricked into resenting other people. And then, you know, it got nastier and nastier. And at some point, yeah, they're culpable for like, at what point are you going to pretend you don't know the results of what you cheered for? But you see that in this country, the same as you see it in any, any other country, is they they hate the victims of authoritarianism after they were tricked into cheering for it, after their good intentions were used to trick them to cheering for evil, and then they sort of double down on the evil. Right, and I want yeah. people to be left uncomfortable by that and realize you're not just the good guy because you have good intentions to begin with. You have to actually figure out who the good guys are and what's true and what isn't and what's right and what's wrong instead of just, well, that guy seems to be here to save us. So rah, 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 let's put him on a throne. Right. He and says he's all about hard work or protecting people or whatever it is. So, right. yeah. <clears throat> right. And so I love the fact that like the little animated one, you could only get into so much, but in this case you get the, what the workers get to see, and then you get the behind the scenes discussions of what's actually going on. And to me, I want, I want those behind the scenes discussions to be occurring to everybody. Every time they see a political ad, after they walk out of the movie and go, oh, that's why they said that. That's why they're doing that. That's why they phrased it that way. The, and and the fact that in the ads, they they attack each other. They like pretend they're critical mm -hmm. of each other. It's like, wow, they don't sound like they're on the same side. Well, of course they don't. If they sounded like they were mm -hmm. on the same side, it wouldn't work, would it? <laughs> the game would be up. <laughs> there was, yep. there was, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was, and I was just going to point out that, that the main thing that, that blows right over people's heads that I think people are starting to really begin to look at in this country is, you know, is the reason that we see the good guy when in movies and we go out and there's still a bunch of problems is because we still have this notion that good people are voted for or put into power over other people. And it, and it's like, once people get that, there's no such thing as that. That all just goes away. But if people still think there's such a thing as you get goodness and good things from voting, quote, good people into power over other, quote, good people, then the cycle continues. Yeah. And in the novel, because there's way more time to get into more of this, there's more of a discussion between Smith and Jones and Johnson about the whole game of democracy and, and the point of it and how we want them to feel empowered by having johnson win because like haha ha, jones was our you know abuser and stuff and we voted him out um and you know obviously there's a there's a trace of that in the in the movie but the the novel gets into it way more because then the people think that the game did something they think that empowered something they think that like now they're in charge like jones finally realizes oh that's why we're doing this so they think they're in charge um and so yeah, that when people realize that not only were you like you weren't cheering for a good guy, but the entire template, your entire premise of everything you're trying to do for most people isn't doing you any good. It's just serving their agenda. Yeah. 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 There was one detail. Um, <clears throat> I hope this isn't a spoiler. Um, I don't think it is. 
So when the when I think it's um I think it's Smith is making the case for I, I don't want to go into too much detail. Let me just find a simple way to say this. Um it's presented that there are other um entities out there that are also a threat. And that's mm-hmm. why, you know, the, the people should should you know appreciate the security that they have. Um I thought that was really powerful. That was that was really important to have that in there because that is an argument that defenders of the state make. And and it's and it's one of the ones that's kind of hard for us to come up against. Um that, well, you know, as however bad it is here, you know, I can't guarantee that, you know, if you if you leave here, those other states, you know, might they they might abuse, they might be even worse. Um do you want to say anything more about that or do you want to just let that? Yeah. Again, trying to do the the tightrope walk of not too much spoiler, but, but <laughs> by now some of the people have seen it. Uh, I think it's important to note that not only do they do that, and it shows up a couple times in the movie, like very early on there when he says they're free and Samuel's saying, does that mean I can just leave? It's like, well, yeah, you can, but if you do, you know, the next plantation owner, over is just going to grab you and claim you as his own and but then it comes up again later but what i really want people to notice is for that thing and a number of other things is that later on there's a scene where smith isn't there it's the workers talking to the workers and having an argument and it's the workers saying it's horrible out there like why are you complaining like they're being the mouthpiece of the tyrant yeah not on purpose and they don't even recognize it, but I want people to notice, mm. like when people are watching a movie and like, I relate with that character. I want them to relate to people who fell for it and accidentally are acting as fear mongers for the tyrants. Yeah. But they just think they're like, like being reasonable and being logical and, and being whatever else. But to, to watch the conflict and realize that, that the conflict that, that we, the people see is mostly us against each other and we don't get how much of that is they're doing it's the the doing of the slavesmiths of the world making us play those games and i want people to to watch this and recognize i'm accidentally like helping out mr smith like even if i don't yeah. know who he is even if he's not one person i want people to realize yeah that might have been me like on the wrong stinking side because most people most of the time they're on the wrong side you know despite the best of intentions what yeah. was that mask stuff was that? all of that well just believe that then. yeah yeah um i wanted to ask you about the word anarchy um because you you call yourselves anarchists and um that word probably means a lot of different things to a lot of different people what do you mean both of you what do you mean by when you say anarchy or anarchist well i mean what the the word literally means which is rule by no one it doesn't mean no organization or no cooperation just the way monarchy means mon one person rules everybody else anarchy means nobody rules ruled by nobody that's the the literal meaning of it and 
it's hard for people to process because, oh, well, okay. Since we're doing a show about Jones plantation, I don't feel bad about doing this analogy (laughs) because if all they've ever known is the plantation life and the, the guy saying, you know, there'd be chaos and mayhem if we're not in charge and running things and, and taking care of all of you, the idea of freedom is terrifying. And that that was actually true of real slaves. And and Frederick Douglass, who grew up as a slave, wrote a lot about that and yeah. described how terrifying the idea of freedom was to people who were slaves because they had never lived it. So the idea of anarchy is a similar thing where people think, well, if government is the thing that makes the roads and protects us and, and takes care of the poor and does all these things, then they equate not having a ruling class with chaos and mayhem. And I don't know how anything's going to work because they haven't lived in a society where all those same things are done by way of voluntary organization and cooperation, which is not only possible, but a, a thousand times more effective and a thousand times more moral. But if they, it's sort of like I compare it to if people in the Soviet Union hear the idea of we're going to make the government disappear. It's like, but where are we going to get our bread? Like if that's where your food comes from and somebody mm-hmm. says that thing shouldn't be here, people are going to go, but, but how does, but, and they're they don't scared want of the eat. unknown more than they're scared of abuse, the familiar abuse. They will choose as Mr. Smith says, they will choose the comfortable lie over the uncomfortable truth every time and so it is difficult for people to even process the idea of not having a ruling class and what that does and doesn't mean and they start to have visions of every man for himself which doesn't mean that at all survival of the fittest doesn't mean that at all like but those are be- also those the the every man for himself and the and the apocalyptic survival those are also narratives that are being fed i mean i i can't I can't look at what Hollywood churns out year after year and not think that there's an agenda behind that, behind that yeah. feeding the idea that we're just, you know, really just animals eager to steal from each other and kill each other and all this stuff. And that it's this, you know, veneer of government that protects us all from, from ourselves. So anyone who wants to, to go up Mr. against that. Yeah. To quote Mr. Smith, without law and order, we're no better than savages. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Without ruling classes. Yeah. So. Amanda, do you do you see it the same way? Is that is that kind of what anarchy means to you? Um, it's it, yeah, it's exactly that, but it's funny because a lot of people until they understand what the word means, it's like they're trying to think of something in place of what exists now. And, and I try mm-hmm. to explain that a great way to think about anarchy is just to look at life around you as it's going on and everywhere that you don't see anyone attacking anybody that's anarchy happening because anarchy is just what is. And uh, Rose Wilder Lane is the closest person that we know of to uh, an anarchist uh, who talked kind of like Larkin does, but before his time. And she's the daughter of Laura Ingalls Wilder who wrote the little house in the Prairie books. And she helped her write those books But her daughter Rose wrote um, The Discovery of Freedom, Man's Struggle Against Authority. And she pointed out that, you know, anarchy is just she figured out that that this is just life. Freedom is life. This is what's happening. And then when somebody or a control freak tries to assert dominance and coercion by force on an innocent person, that is something that's 
causing chaos out of what was natural order. So what's funny is government is the only entity that is generating chaos. It's the only machine of chaos that's been there throughout history. And it points the finger at peaceful people trying to elude it and says, you guys just want chaos because you want to escape our chaos. <laughs> and that's what it is. And so if you understand that just every interaction you see in the city, you know, people going about their lives, all those things would continue to happen in a world without government, they would just happen that much more successfully, in fact. And they would probably, you would see, you know, imagine all the people you know of not having to think about, stressing about, worrying about being stolen from every year for their taxes or registration or anything else. And they already give to charity a bunch of them. They're just going to give that much more. They're going to organize that much more, you know. And so I try to remind people that it's not about, you know, what's going to happen without this thing. Remember that this thing was never doing anything for us. It was claiming that it was, while good people who still want services and food and community and nice things were always working together in spite of this entity to try to make those things happen. And so those people are just going to do that that much more easily. Because there isn't a giant group of people that they believe in needs to be there stealing from all of them and ruling over all of them. I'm curious about something. <clears throat> Did yep. either or both of you go to government schools as children? I went to a little private religious school about 12,000 years ago. Um, I was homeschooled until age 11, and then I was put in a not public, a charter school. And then I was put in another charter school after that uh, that was very tiny from which I graduated. Okay. Um, I Go ahead. I should throw in that even though I'm not a, a member of the church anymore, I have to credit the fact that I grew up in literally the only religion I've ever heard of that teaches people to doubt everything, including itself. And oh, wow. says, if you can't make it the, the truth your own, why on earth would you believe it? And I can't that? pretend that didn't have a, a huge um it it's it's based on the the writings of Emmanuel Swedenborg. Um it's known as the the new church or the church of the new Jerusalem. And having grown up in a in a setting where blind faith is a bad thing and recognized as a bad thing by the religion is wow. pretty dang unusual. Yeah. You even need to doubt this. You need to like doubt everything and use your own brain to figure out the truth. And Emmanuel Swedenborg, like he wrote this stuff like hundreds of years ago, and wow. he was a ridiculously intelligent scientist and inventor and stuff. And wow, like, the thing he said happened. Like I don't know if that happened in, in any of that, but the fact that I was raised around people who said, "Yes, you doubt everything, including." what the church says. You don't have to believe them. In fact, you're going to go by what <laughs> these books say. You're required to disbelieve them. You're required to doubt them and and take on the burden of figuring out for yourself what's true and what isn't and what's right and what's wrong because we have that, you know, written on our hearts is one way that that Christians right, say it. Right. And if you're not using your own conscience and you're just deferring to somebody else, you're just being a robot. And I don't think we were put here to be robots. No, <laughs> I know that's extreme, but <laughs> but that is well, unusual. Um, yeah, is that why you like? Is that partly why you act so embarrassed um, that you were ever a statist at all? Do you yeah. think that's partly why? Because you were raised that way. Like, you think it's funny that you were that you fell for it because you feel like 
you shouldn't have? Well, well, it's interesting because, you know, most people in that religion are status because most people everywhere are status because there's things that they haven't questioned yet. And no. it took me ages to question it. But yeah, the, the embarrassment is because once you see through it and you understand it, you're like, wow, why did I fall for, for that trick? Like once you see through the games of Mr. Smith and Jones and Johnson, you see how ridiculous it is. And it's frustrating to watch other people fall for it and go, how do you not notice what this is? And how did I not notice what this was for, for years and years? Um, yeah. And so anytime, you know, anytime there's something like, well, I should have doubted that much earlier than I did. It's sort of embarrassing, but I got there yeah, eventually. But I think, no, but I think it's, I think it's good. I think it's, it's, good to have that uh, that experience and sort of to get the humility of realizing oh wait i can be fooled too and i'm sure there's stuff i'm sure there's stuff that i take for granted or that i believe that i just haven't questioned someone pointed out once just recently um i was in hong kong during the tiananmen demonstrations and mm-hmm. um so i had a whole view of what that was what was going on at the time and then years later you know i read more analysis i i you know, the CIA wasn't part of my, it was, it wasn't in my radar. It's not that I believed the U S government was benign or anything like that. It just, none of this was in on my radar. And so years later, I, I read uh, people writing about it. It's like, oh yeah, you know, those pieces fit together. I think, I think, you know, there was some U S government involvement in helping, you know, not, and again, which is not to attack the demonstrators, but that it wasn't a completely benign thing. And and even after that, I've had people say, no, are you kidding me? You know, the, the Hong Kong press was was being manipulated. All of these things that I hadn't questioned at the time and just kind of hadn't, you know, I wasn't coming from a position of trusting any kind of government, but I still pretty much believed the narrative that was on the TV. And then it was only, you know, years and years later of like, oh, it was other people pointing out, you know, wait a second, there's this and this and this. It's like, yeah, okay. Um, so I think there's something valuable about having those humbling experiences where it's like, yeah, I could, I can be fooled too. And it's not, it's not because I'm an idiot. It's not because I'm overly trusting in these institutions. It's maybe because I don't have time to look at every single, you know, thing that's in front of me as critically as I should. Um, but I do right. think it's and amazing that you had that upbringing. I think that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's that's a big reason of why I was able to doubt anything. The levels of trick involved with politics everywhere, like going back forever, is something most people like. They don't want it to be true. You know, for starters, they don't want it to be true. They it's really scary for them to consider that. Those big, powerful people who are there to protect us are literally the worst people in the world and would commit mass murder if it if it would give them power. But the so the movie gets into it a little bit. Again, the novel has more time to get into the different levels of the tricks because people will often like they have the oversimplified version of the the tyrant of like, oh, he's cackling maniacally, but really he's secretly this. And and then they they miss the second level, which is. The tyrants know at some point you're going to be fed up with them. So they want to build an outlet for your frustration and anger that doesn't do you any good. And it I, I won't give a spoiler, but the novel gets more into a certain aspect of that that the, the movie does show. 
But Smith explains that he was the one who made that happen, even though it looks like it was anti Jones and anti them to play the game to make sure because they're they're in his view, they're managing livestock. Yep. And, and they use that the cow word. gets mad when this happens. They mm. do this thing to make it happy. And it's all about deception and control. Yeah. And when people are able to consider the unthinkable, as Smith puts it, like to wield real power, right. must be willing to do what most people consider to be unthinkable. And when people's brains yeah. get to the point where they go, would they do would they do that? First of all, the answer is they absolutely would if they thought it would give them power. But when people are able to see through more levels of the tricks, then the tricks stop working on them and they stop going, OK, you got me all riled up and then you got me to do something that didn't do. I mean, like the January 6th thing. What did that accomplish other than looking really stupid, get completely overblown by the media and just be this? This big dumb drama that only served those in power. And I'm sure lots of the people there were like, thought they were being like pro freedom and anti the establishment. And no, you weren't like, maybe that was your motive, but you have no idea how the game works. So you played right into the game and accomplished nothing. And there, there's yeah. a point in, in the movie, I won't give the specifics, but people who've seen, will probably know what I mean, where Smith, basically says you know what did your yearning for freedom get you because didn't understand the game and did something that just ended up empowering the tyrants like out of the best of intentions like being brave and noble and courageous and rah-rah freedom but you didn't understand the game and so you did something that just made it worse and that's I, i want people to 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 question that too not only would they fall for you know the psychos pretending to be saviors, which is that's government through all of history. Plato said that when the tyrant appears, he is first a protector. This this route and no other is from which a tyrant springs. When he first appears, he is a protector. And that was yes, two thousand wow. years ago. Wow, this Plato is not new that. stuff. Yeah, so it's no. been around forever. But to see a, a few levels down through it and realize, yeah, they're. They have a lot of money and power at stake. They're at least going to figure out a few levels of trickery to make even the uppity people waste their time and get and distracted energy. on diversions and fight amongst each other and and do stuff that isn't going to do them any good. Because, yeah, sometimes the livestock gets uppity and you have to do some trick to make them fight each other know for a while. Know how to manage your livestock. And, yeah. yeah. I think that I think. So that's one level, the the level of sort of understanding that they're manipulating us, that the elections are really don't mean anything. They just serve to divert our energies and all that stuff. But I think the next level up is is hard. I mean, it's hard even for me um, when you talk about the unthinkable. And in history class, we're taught that, you know, previous governments, other governments, communist governments did unthinkable things. But now we live in a democracy and our government would never do things like that. But when you see things happening in the news and it's like one after another, that is like, wait, they wouldn't do that on purpose. No, they... (laughs) I don't want to believe that it's... I don't want to believe that it's that scary out there because then I have to do something about it. And, and I'm already coming from a point of, you know, I think it probably is that scary out there. And, and I, and I know what people in power have done historically, 
But I have to imagine for, for people for whom even the election thing is, is news to them, getting them to that next point of, yeah, your government actually wants to kill you or wants to, you know, is willing to do unthinkable things in order to keep its power. That's like a whole nother leap to me. And I just, I wonder how many people are going to make that. Yeah. And that's, that's why there's several mentions of that in the movie is because I want to plant that seed, like make them wonder what are these people capable of? And weirdly, I think in the last few years, the Mm -hmm. psychos kind of helped us out by telling a bunch of lies, which then completely fell apart. And, and killed so a lot of people, people in stuck, the meantime. Yeah. And did horrendous damage. And now people are stuck having to go, well, maybe they just didn't know any better and meant well, except some of the stuff comes out, coming out shows. No, they knew the whole time. They did they know. They were lying the they whole knew. time. They knew it. They absolutely and the, knew. those of us yeah. who were pointing it out the whole time are now vindicated because everything single thing we said was true. Yeah. And, but I want the movie putting it in people's heads just just to be able to question notice i'm not going to tell them here's right. what they did on this and you right know, I, and I, that's I what's so brilliant it. about it that's what's so that's what i i love so much about your film is that that's it lights that spark it gets it really does get people thinking and that's to me that's the most important thing you know whether they come to my conclusions or not just getting them thinking about these things is just critical yeah critical. Uh, i think the for me personally, the most intense scene is where Samuel's talking to the other workers and trying to get them to understand and he's getting all this pushback. And, and, and then he, he basically says like Smith told me you, you wouldn't want to hear this. He told me you'd rather believe a lie. And I think a lot of people in the freedom movement are going to relate to that and go, yeah, that's oh, yeah. been years and years of my life is trying to tell people things for their good so they can be free, so they can be prosperous, and they get mad at me for it. And that's like, I want people on both sides to feel that scene that people have been doing that and getting stomped on and, and condemned, you know, by their family and co workers and everything else for trying to advocate freedom. And the people on the other side realizing, oh, yeah, maybe when I was bashing my, you know, my brother-in-law for not wearing a mask or some stupid thing, maybe I wasn't the good guy. Like, maybe he was trying to tell me something that's actually true and that, like, he was being nicer to me than I was to him by a lot. And I thought he was the enemy. Gee, why? Why would I think he's the enemy? Who's trying to make me think? That the person advocating freedom is the enemy. And so hopefully that'll be rattling around in some people's heads after they watch this. Uh, I do yeah. think it's worth pointing out that, like you and I have noticed, people who have experienced um, psychopathy combined with malice in another human being, in an individual, in their personal life up close have no trouble believing mm. that the government is made up of those people and that's because that, they that's, recognize it that that is where they go and that is yeah. what and that they will absolutely do the unthinkable because some of us have already been disillusioned that there's <laughs> that there's no such thing as humans that do things like that in the world because we've been right up close and personal with them and we're like wow <laughs> you would just murder somebody just to get your way okay 
that's the thing you would do. And that the thing yeah. is, is that's a, all of those people are smart enough to go. That is the organization that lets me get away with that legally. Yes. Mm-hmm. So of yes. course it's going to attract the worst people. So it's like, I feel like for the people that this is going to be uncomfortable for are really for the people who have honest to God, been lucky enough. I say this genuinely bless you. If you've been lucky enough to go through your entire life, believing and truly getting away with the belief, like most people are good and they mean well, because if you believe that still, I guarantee you, you've not had the experiences I, or a lot of my friends have had. Well, most might like, be. <laughs> it's when they like, think everybody is. No, it's when, they, no, but I'm saying they will still say like, oh, most people out there, like most people. And it's like, yeah, but it's not even as many as you think it is. Like if you think you can just walk out even into the first world and you won't be a target for somebody who is a control freak that is willing to do things you aren't willing to do that you think most people won't do that they target you. You are very, very, very naive or you're maybe blind to it right in front of your face still in your own life. Because there are people who I know of who they had to live through, just like we had to live through waking up to government. They had to live through waking up to the way that the wool is being pulled over their eyes in their own life. And then when they acknowledged that, it was easier to look at, oh, that's what this machine is just made up out of. <laughs> because yeah, the, people, the people who want to trust everybody and who basically project their own benignness onto everyone else are the easiest targets of the worst people in the world yeah. because they don't want to believe the worst people would really do that stuff. So they keep putting up with it and they go, well, I guess that was by act like mistakes were made. Like, yeah, it was on purpose. The issue is being addressed. Yes. We're investigating it so we can cover it. Okay. Then not everything's fine. I mean, I, I can kind of identify with that because I feel like the, the first time I was confronted with like kind of outright bald face lying for the purpose of manipulating me, it was like, I mean, I was, I wasn't raised in a perfect household, but at least there was like, people didn't just you know, lie for the sake of it or, or try to, you know, manipulate people into believing things just for the sake of it. And so the first time I was confronted with that, it was hard to, it was a shock to my system. It was like, I I couldn't wrap my head around it. It's like, why, why, why would you, it's like, it's just, if you're not, if that's not part of the world that, you know, the first time you're confronted with it, it's like, it just doesn't make sense. And so If it's that much more removed from you, if it's like people, you know, in positions of power, I can imagine it's it's that same thing of like, well, why would anybody do that? Why would anybody be that evil? They just are. I mean, some people just are. And and there are systems I, I, that feed it. I have to throw in a line that's actually in the trailer, so it doesn't count as a spoiler. Okay. Right after Smith is talking about the unthinkable, Joan says, well, what most people consider unthinkable is that men like you talking to Mr. Smith even exists? And he responds, that's our greatest advantage. Yeah. And it's totally true. The fact that all the good people want to think the best of people in power is yeah. a massive advantage to the psychopaths who actually get power because they can literally commit mass murder. And people go, well, it that was, was a by mistake. mistake or it must have been something else. There must be some explanation other than they're all the way homicidal maniacs. Right. No, right. they're all the way homicidal. Yeah, maniacs. government would never call a population right under its own nose. No. No, of course not. 
No, I mean, there's other governments, sure, but not ours. Right, not ours. Well, yeah. ours last week when that last yeah, thing got- Sure. That, that, <laughs> that one time. But that one time. Good. Like, yeah, Operation Northwoods. Yeah, they did it then. Oh, that was like, good people, people now. They're all good people. Yeah, yeah. And MK yeah. Ultra. Well, they did that too. But now, now it's just good people in our game. Yeah, bad things only happen in history, not not right in front of us. <laughs> or somewhere else. Yeah. Do you have any advice for... Um, I'm going to plug my own interest here now because I'll just, so I've got a children's novel, very Whoa, cool. anarchic, um, <laughs> and also a comic, comic book. Excellent. Ooh, and I know a lot of people in our movement, not a lot. I know a handful of people in our movement who write fiction, make films, do things in this arena. Do you have any advice for us as far as how to kind of how to get our stuff out there, how to, how to, I don't know, how to get it seen, how to, how to get it out in the world. I haven't been all that great at it. One thing I would, I would suggest, like now we have an actual movie and we're promoting that all over the place. The fact that now there are, because of technology and the internet and podcasts, the fact that normal people, quote unquote, now have bigger audiences than the mainstream media. Like, you know, mm. Joe Rogan is just some guy. Like, I disagree with about with him about plenty of things, but he's just some guy saying what he thinks and interviewing interesting people. And he absolutely dwarfs CNN and yeah. like all of the other networks. I know they're not main, the what used to be mainstream isn't mainstream yeah, anymore. They're, they're like, not they're not mainstream anymore. There. So to me, the the fact that that exists. It makes it so there's sort of this, you know, there's this ladder of podcasters of varying degrees, like what we're doing now yeah. is talking about it in places where people can hear about it who might not otherwise have, have heard about it. And I think one thing I'll throw in, which isn't isn't exactly about promotion and, and how to get it out there, which is what you actually asked. I'll answer a question you didn't <laughs> ask, sure, like a politician. I'll go into politician mode. I think it's really important for pro-freedom people to understand the psychology of what's going on inside normal people's heads that mm. gets in the way of them understanding this stuff and hearing this stuff and processing this stuff. Because anytime we do something that feels like preaching, if we go into evangelical mode, people shut down and run away. It doesn't yeah. matter what the message was. It yeah. doesn't matter how right you are, how well-intentioned you are. People don't respond well to that. We actually have a course called Candles in the Dark, which teaches voluntarists how to talk to, to statists without setting them off and making them want to like jump out the nearest window and things like that. <laughs> Heck, I have friends that will straight up just dissociate if you start to lecture for too long. Yeah, it just... It's like, just yeah, I know yeah. people that are like, whoa. <laughs> and that's why I think it's so cool that to have like fiction stuff like yeah, you're like talking it. about, which can tell an interesting story and have useful ideas, but it's not, it doesn't have to be preachy. And yeah. I think spreading that is a challenge because it's, it's, you know, it's not what people are used to. And, you know, we're up against people with gazillions of dollars, you know, yeah. we're trying to compete with Hollywood. They can spend $300 million on a completely empty cookie cutter piece of garbage. And our, our whole budget for our movie was about the catering bill. Yeah. Of one of those movies, like not even kidding. Their catering bill is bigger than our entire budget production and post-production put together was. That is um, wild. 
That sounds right. That sounds like Hollywood. That sounds exactly accurate. Yeah. 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 The scale really of the does. money. We did this movie on almost nothing we compared to what their budgets are. On their catering budget. <laughs> but yeah, I think just any way it can be spread around and making it so it speaks for itself. Like mm-hmm. people don't yeah. have to know who I am to watch the Jones Plantation get stuff out of it. And mm-hmm. I assume people don't have to know who you are and what you think to to read the books and read the stories and the comic book and and get out of it what they get out of it. And so I think it's the fact that we are now able to communicate with each other like this and all over the place. Like I'm old enough to remember when that was not a thing. There yeah. was there were three yeah. networks and they were basically owned by the same people. That's that was the only mass production of communication unless you owned a printing press or something well you can go on cable didn't. you can have a little show on on your local cable station yeah <laughs> that would air like at three in the morning and you know right the local two people, people who watching the, yeah 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 i remember there were some <laughs> oh, of those well, and... yeah that was the beginning of it basically. one of the ways that we've um gotten our stuff out there that's been really effective and a lot of people don't want to do this but i just say you know it works is just go to freedom events where there's a bunch of people doing what you're doing or get a freedom mm-hmm. meetup going but captive audiences, if you um, ask a place if they need speakers or speak people or places are looking for speakers or a, a, a Liberty event is starting up and they need speakers, go speak and say, hey, I've got this book. I've put this out if, a lot of events. They're looking for anybody who's done something. So it's like mm-hmm. if you have something, we've got a captive audience of new people that are now, you know, that they came to this event because at least they're starting to think about Liberty or they've been thinking about it. And they will like your product enough that they'll take it and give it to their friends and spread it and stuff. So I know that a lot of people have got their books and their stuff out there just from like trying to go to regular meetups or start meetups or go to these big events, too, that are now happening, you know, a few times a year all over the country, whether it's, you know, Anarchapulco or whatever. Those those events changed our lives. Like, that's the reason we're able to do what we do now is we just started going to these events. And, you know, you talk more, you do more. And before you know it, it's like there isn't five people talking about anarchy. It's a global movement of hundreds of thousands of people. And you know about these events that are happening everywhere all over the world. And that's where we're at. And that started from just people saying, hey, can we do this? Can we get some people together and talk about freedom and talk about freedom businesses and reinforce each other? So um, that's one thing. And then the other thing is the thing everybody knows, I think, by now, which is you you might want to uh, put aside some of those uh, dollars for an actual ad budget since that counts on the internet nowadays because if you can actually yeah. promote yourself with ad spend i mean we all know that that's money that not everybody has but if you have an ad budget i will say tiktok ads and facebook ads if you target basically target the things you know freedom people like you and i look up people that are looking up your book or freedom-minded books and what they would google or what they would search and then that's how you make your ads you target you put your ads under those tags and under those search terms when you build your ads but it's worth learning enough about ads to at least i think market our liberty stuff so i think yeah. people have that budget you know? i did when i first when i first published my uh, my children's novel i did do a few fa- i mean i don't have a, a big ad budget but i did do a few facebook ads and a funny thing happened i i don't i'm thinking this was in 2021 maybe 2022 so they had keywords you could you could like target certain keywords they had the word liberty for a while, and then they took it off. It's not an option anymore. <laughs> can't you have can't any of that. tag it. You can't. That's as as one of the yeah, as one of the ad, um, 
Yeah, I guess it's a tag. It's one of the ad like a hashtag thing. Yeah, I don't know if it was a hashtag. It was when you're selecting when you're when you're putting up the profile for your ad, and it's like who are the populations you want to target and the ages and the countries. Yeah. And all I know stuff. exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and then there are yeah. words. Yeah. There are words like homeschooling. Da 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 da. Yeah. Liberty was one of those words, and then after a certain point. You couldn't pick that. You couldn't anymore. put. That's really suspicious because they used to yeah. not even. I yeah. used to be able to tag any word you could think of, babe. Like if I could think of the word, yeah. I could tag it in an ad if I was trying to do an ad for something. Somebody must I think have decided is, that. I think if the ad is already up there, you could still tag it. It's just when you're when you're putting the ad together and it asks for the for the word like keywords. I don't think it's tagging uh-huh. it's keywords. Um, yeah, you couldn't. That's yeah, that's interesting because I because I, I try to tag all the words related to something. I'll tag liberty, freedom, government, anarchy, and like anything I can think of that's related to it because those are all related topics and yeah. people Google stuff related to that all the time. Um, and it's funny because you have to get more creative and start thinking of well, if they, if it's like if they eliminate liberty, well then you got to make sure you definitely tag freedom, anarchy, and, anarchy <laughs> and non-aggression. You know, it's like yeah, yeah. Somebody, somebody must have ruled that liberty is like racist or something. Yeah, yeah. And this was like over a year ago. I don't know if they brought it back, but it was it was like oh, okay, that's in truth <laughs> Facebook style. That's that's great. Right. Final, final question. Are you guys optimistic about the future? Yes, absolutely. More so than most of the people I know now. Because of the internet. I'm not saying this is going to happen like overnight because it isn't. But if you look not only like I've been doing this for 27 years now and the number of people I know who are voluntarists went from zero. (laughs) Like I knew zero in real (laughs) life to hundreds of thousands. I lost count. Um, so the actual principles of liberty have been growing. I'm actually one of the videos I, I want to finish soon goes through the evolution of the idea of of self ownership that has literally been growing for centuries. And I want to show the whole history of it because it's easy to miss. And especially if you're looking at the stupidity done by government right now and all the you know abuses that that they always do. But if you look just now, just compared to 50 years ago in this country. You know, and, you know, going back through centuries through the whole world, the idea that the individual means anything has been growing and growing. Like yes. you can go back to Magna wow. Carta, where the, the feudal lord said, maybe there should be some <laughs> things that even the king can't do. And like, OK, took you a while, but OK, that's sort of like, OK, that's a step that matters. It's not a very big step, <laughs> but, but it's a step. But it's a step. And, and then the, and then Jesus the, brought in the golden rule. And I mean, we can mm-hmm. all argue whether whether the guy existed, but I would be impressed that if that a guy who didn't exist affected the world with the golden rule as fast and as effectively as he did. Because for for someone who may not have existed, according <laughs> to some people, I think that guy has affected a lot of the world because whether yeah. or not you look at the crusades or not and people twisting it and turning it back into statism, the concept is the individual is what matters. You don't get your way by force. You get your way through love of your enemy, which was a revolutionary idea then. Still is. Way, still is, but then even more so. I mean, the yeah. guy was crucified for it. So right. Yeah. So it's like it's been happening. And it goes through, it goes through the whole Roman Empire, it goes through the British Empire. Wow. And you can see this constant hypocritical, weird contradiction of like, you know, the British Empire is going around conquering and enslaving and killing people. And at the same time, pushing these ideas of individual liberty in certain ways. And 
the whole time it's been this giant weird hypocritical balancing act yeah up through the constitution where it's like yeah the individual and the rights of it and by the way we get to rob you yeah why did you why did you put those two in the same document yeah like Um, wait what but the fact that now people assume more about the rights of the individual than ever before even people Mm. who are indoctrinated into government like the idea that government shouldn't be spying on us, like, or that there's any limit to what they should be able to do. That's fairly recent. I mean, look at the movie we just made, Jones Plantation. Slavery. Slavery was an institution all over the planet for millennia until about a century and a half ago. That's last week. Yeah. And now we yeah. look back and go, how on earth could they do that? And now we've got Mr. Smith. Yeah. Now he has Mr. Smith who has to play all these games because people won't go for the just outright brutal evil version of it yeah. because humanity is growing up. So anyway. The, so I'll, so I'll are you, you, you said again. you're you're creating a video about this or you're you're um, you said you were creating something with this timeline. Yeah, I, I want to make just a YouTube video that shows how much the belief in self-ownership has been growing for centuries and then a ton in recent decades including among people who don't know the phrase self-ownership or non-aggression, there's, there's the instinctive level of what people just think is okay. And then there's the philosophical level. Philosophically, yeah. most people are completely ignorant and don't think about things. If they've but got the gut, gut level, level, that's even better. Yeah, the gut level. It used to be, well, the King's Guard, you know, kicked down your door and killed you. Oh, well, sucks to be you. Now people are offended all over the place. Like cops shouldn't do this. And we have rights. And uh, like Mm. they're, they're waking up into at least the gut level understanding of self-ownership and non-aggression without the philosophy, but that means they're ready for the philosophy. Yeah. 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 And that's, I mean, to me, having seen this for the last 27 years, people are now way more open to the ideas than they ever were before. Wow. And I want to I want to point out that within a lot of people's lifetimes still alive today, 80 because 80 years ago is within a lot of people's lifetimes who are in their 90s. 80 years ago, Sophie Scholl was being beheaded as a German college chick for being an anarchist that talked shit about Hitler in a paper she wrote. And I can talk all the shit I want about any president, any government all over Facebook And the worst I might get is Facebook locks up my account and I restart one and I say it again. Nobody's Mm -hmm. beheading me. And that is 80 years ago this year that she was being beheaded in Germany for just talking crap about Hitler. And I mean, to me, it's it still blows my mind that there are people walking around today that are like, yeah, I was alive when people were being beheaded just for saying the stuff that like you Mm -hmm. say on Facebook all the time. Yeah. And the thing is. In my lifetime, in this country, you know, people weren't being beheaded, but it used to be, you don't criticize the troops. You don't criticize mm. the police. Ever. You Ever. you can disagree with the policies of politicians, but you respect the office, right. especially the office of president. Does anybody respect that stinking <laughs> office anymore? That was in my lifetime. Yeah, that's now, true. Now the, now the argument is which of the senile, old, demented psychos is slightly less evil than the other? Like, that's the public discussion. Right. That doesn't bode well for tyrants. Yeah. When people have that much disgust and distrust for the people in power, but it bodes really well for freedom. Yeah. And so, anyway, that's that's the short version of, yes, I'm very optimistic. <laughs> 
Awesome. Um, anything, any other, uh, any final words on optimism on where, where we're headed on? Uh, one thing I hate to see is pro-freedom people being bummed out and feeling doomed and like it's hopeless. And that's one of the reasons I want to make that video about the evolution of, of yeah. self-ownership, especially for, I, I have to sort of chuckle at the people who like turned in anarchist yesterday and they're like, I didn't fix the whole world since yesterday. I was like, right. I've been doing this for 27 years. Shut up. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, the amount of change that's been happening. Yeah, in a little my perspective. Lifetime, a little perspective yeah, goes a long way. Is massive. And the thing is, right now, the world is way more open to this discussion than ever before. And I know because yeah. I was trying to do this discussion for the last 27 years. Yeah. And nobody paid any attention at yeah. all. The last the three first, years have been. Yeah, the last three yeah. years have been a gift in a lot of ways and a very yeah. costly, deadly, horrible one right. that I wouldn't have wished for, but it's <laughs> exactly. created an opening for sure. Right. Yeah. It's for like sure. the the thing you can't wish for, but you're like, well, I guess there's the silver lining. Yeah. There are benefits. Big silver lining. Yeah. 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 Now yeah. is not the time to self-censorship and or self-censor or the yeah. time to feel doom and gloom and hide in a corner and say everything's hopeless now yeah. is the time having yeah. having spent so many years talking to people who were incapable of listening i have to tell everyone who believes in freedom if you don't do it now as easy as it is now as open to this discussion as a lot of people are now don't pretend you're a warrior for freedom like nobody's going to kill you for saying it yeah, some people will disagree with you. whoop de doo If you're not like, it's pathetically easy. The job we have now, yeah, we don't get killed for saying us. bad things about the king. Yeah. So do it. Like we have the ridiculously easy version of what lots of people were tortured and murdered for in past centuries. If we yeah. can't do it now because, well, my brother might say mean things to me. <laughs> so then just, holy smokes, people. <laughs> then just do stop. It now you just have the stop. easiest job in the world. Yeah. 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 This has been awesome. Thank you both so much. Um, I will, I, if, if there are any other links you'd like me to add, please just send them my way. I'll, I'll put them in here and um, I'll let you know as soon as it up as it, as it's up, um, which should be like Excellent. in the next day or so. So yeah. Cool. Thanks Thank for you. having us on. It's been yeah. fun. You've been listening to What Then Must We Do, the podcast for those who understand that the state is the problem and are seeking solutions. For more episodes, go to brettany.substack.com. That's B-R-E-T-I-G-N-E dot substack.com and subscribe. Subscribe.